So this is the uh, observance day uh, and the new moon or dark moon, no moon, and it's also the no moon of the uh, summer solstice. Uh, it's just like reflecting on time in the phase of the moon and also the uh, seasons. Uh, we're now on the the days get shorter and the nights get longer. I'd like to reflect on this uh, because here in uh, this far north uh, the time changes are quite obvious. And the long midsummer days and then now they'll get shorter. And just by observing, keeping uh, uh, this reflectiveness on the way it is, on impermanence, so that, you know, the, we're actually bringing into, informing our conscious experience about the way it is, about condi- conditions, nature of conditioned phenomena is change and nietzsche. Now taking this reflection on a Nietzsche to, you know, it's a kind of ongoing challenge because uh, we operate out of our ignorance in, 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 with attitudes that things aren't impermanent, even though intellectually you might agree, you know, a rational mind says everything's impermanent, but emotionally, you know, we, we, uh, we may not actually feel that or understand that, the reality, the experience of impermanence. So that's what uh, meditation is for, to begin to experience impermanence, not just hold the views about it. And so this takes that reflective capacity to observe change in its coarseness, in its most obvious forms of like the changing of the seasons or the phase of the moon, but also in subtleties of emotion and memory. That we experience uh, in our, in, in the sense of ourselves, you know, they, we, we operate from the assumption that we are the, are a permanent person or a permanent soul. Now, you might agree, saying being Buddhist, we, uh, we don't agree. There's no soul, no God, no self, nothing's permanent. But yet to really be, to be the observer of impermanence, be the knower of impermanence, is, is not intellectual. It's not, a, it's not knowing all about impermanence and Buddhist theories of impermanence and, and then rejecting anything that doesn't quite fit into Buddhist ideas, but it's uh, being the knower, the knower of impermanence. And so that's different than knowing about impermanence. And so this is what we call reflection or sati-sampatanya, mindfulness, and intuitive awareness. Now intellectually we can, you know, we, we understand the terms. And then, then in, with Sati Sampatanya, they're actually aware of just feeling, you know, the four Satipatanas, uh, Gayanupasana, Vedananupasana, uh, Jitanupasana, Tamanupasana. These are skillful means that we have in our scriptures that 
that are not for just intellectual devouring, but for actually for, uh, observing, witnessing. They're, they're tools to use, not doctrines to grasp. So many, uh, like Metapawana, for example, there are people, uh, you know, have various, you know, interested in the practice of Metta. And of course, this is defined usually in the English translation as loving kindness. And Metta is also uh, in, the, in the ten Barmitas. Uh, so it's an, and metta then is an attitude. It's not just a, a sentiment of, you know, it's not coming from the ideal level of we should all love everything or be loving and kind to everything. That's, that tends towards the sentimental. It's a, you know, a beautiful idea. And uh, but metta as a, I like to use the, the terms unconditioned love. And, and I intentionally use the word love because even though that word itself is, is used for almost anything, it's usually used for liking something. So in, in, in the English language we use it for all kinds of things. Usually it's around liking or being besotted with somebody or uh, liking some object something that you you love to eat certain kinds of food love certain places but it really means liking now separating the liking and disliking and that these are dependent whether you like something depends on the condition doesn't it so if you know, if if you like something, then the conditions are there for this feeling of liking. And if and if you dislike something, the conditions are present for disliking. Now, this is a reflective mode, and uh, they call it itapajyata, dependent. Everything conditions are always dependent on other conditions. There's no absolutes. Those absolute conditions that are just can't seem to rise all on their own independent of anything else. So in terms of liking somebody, uh, then it, you know, it depends on whether, how they behave to us and, and treat us and whether they like us or not and whether they're in a good mood and being pleasant or uh, that, then we like them. And then when somebody that we like uh, starts getting angry with us and criticizing us, then we don't like them. And so that's dependent on the conditions, on the mood you're in. Even somebody you like most of the time, if you're in a bad mood, you don't like them. Because like and dislike are, are changing conditions. So, say then metta as unconditioned love, then, it, then taking love out of the context of liking or approving or, uh, you know, or being besotted or obsessed with anything, it's, it's put in this uh, more in the Christian context of unconditioned love. Now by this then it means uh, unconditioned love then isn't dependent, it's not about liking or disliking or, or uh, you know, approving of something or, um, you know, it's not, it's not a sentiment about, you know, we should love our enemies as if, you know, we, we should like our enemies. In Christianity when they talk about loving your enemies, uh, that seems almost impossibility when somebody's really being, uh, Difficult, nasty to you. You can't say you. You can't like that. And uh, 
and then also you don't like them when they're when they're in that mode when they're busy uh, kind of slagging you off. So, uh, but you can notice this. You can observe like and dislike. And then metta, this un- unconditioned love, then is is an attitude of receiving everything for what it is. Like unconditioned love doesn't doesn't matter whether the the person is 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 uh, pleasing and kind and good to me, or is being nasty and rude and insulting to me. Unconditioned love then is is uh, is not about liking or liking or disapproving or disapproving, but receiving unconditionally the praise, the blame, the the liking, the disliking that one is receiving from somebody else and also that one is feeling in one's own consciousness. So then metta, you know, as a concept is a very useful one for meditation. And we always start with the formula of may I abide in well-being. You always start with yourself. And we tend, you know, modern people, educated people tend to be very uh, critical of themselves. So we, we oftentimes don't even like ourselves very much. And uh, we often we have a tendency for many is to is to dwell on faults and weaknesses and and guilt and moods that we create about ourselves so then then we take this may i abide in well-being how can how how is this how do you practically how can you do that you could say the words may i abide in well-being but how how do I abide in well-being? Sounds like a good idea, doesn't it? It is a good idea. But how do you do it? What is that really about? And that, of course, pointing always to the here and now. It's not some, tomorrow I'm going to abide in well-being. It's kind of pointless, isn't it? I'm not going to do it now, I'm going to do it tomorrow. But it's, uh, and this is where you reflect, isn't it, on abiding in well-being. And so these words, English words, well-being, present moment. And that means to me, then, accepting the way I am right now. And even if I'm in a nasty mood or, or uh, upset or frustrated, angry, enraged, guilt-ridden, full of self-aversion, or whatever, whatever condition I'm experiencing now in my consciousness. Abiding in well-being doesn't mean trying to suppress or deny the condition, but abiding in well-being towards the conditions that I'm experiencing, or metta, loving kind or unconditioned love, meaning then there's no condition. Accepting, allowing whatever you're thinking or feeling, physically or emotionally, mentally, allowing it to be what it is. It's unconditioned love. It's not, I will, I will love myself once I change and I purify myself and, and I'm worthy and and, and when these conditions go, and that, that's, that's, uh, that will never happen, <laughs> if, you're, if you believe that. But you, you can do this always immediately. It's spontaneous here and now, abiding in well-being towards the body and, uh, and its present condition, whether it feels you feel comfortable or stressed or tense or headachey or whatever. 
It's not not a condition of that, but allowing even the pain or the stress or the uh, to be what it is, allowing things to be what they are in terms of this form, this physical form, and this mental conditions that I'm experiencing. So then, meta then as an attitude. You know, it's, it's not it's not not sentimental at all. Not trying to convince myself that I like myself or love myself or anything like that. But it is practical and it's realistic and it's real because this we can actually this is something we can actually do. Abiding in well-being. Not as an ideal, but as a rea- the reality of here and now, whatever state you're in, physically or mentally. And then, you know, as we 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 develop this this practice of abiding in well-being towards ourselves, towards the, these five khandhas, meaning. It's not ignoring and pretending everything is just all right. It's not. It's not trying to to fool oneself in any way or or suppress anything. It's totally receptive. Unconditioned love has no conditions on it. No strings attached. No preferences. Whatever is, no matter what your mood, state of mind is. It's received, it's allowed to be what it is. Then you can be, then you experience a nicha, because you're, you're attending to the changingness of the, of this, of, of exper- of physical feeling or emotional feeling. You can, you can actually observe it with, with metta, allowing a condition to be what it is. You're letting go of it. You're not trying to kind of make it into something else. You're just letting it be this way. And experiencing that it's, it's changing this. So you're, you're recognizing, you're, you're realizing the pace and Quranic child conditions are impermanent. You're actually, a, you know, the witness of change. So whether it's a good feeling, a happy feeling, a high feeling, elation, inspiration, whatever, or depression or misery or boredom or whatever, the, it, these, these are changing conditions. Some of the most difficult uh, mental states, I think, for all of us are like boredom and disillusionment and despair and disappointment in monastic life, isn't it? You know, you get to a point where you feel despair with it or disappointment. You don't get what you expected. And, uh, you know, one can survive for a long time on inspiration and and, uh, determination, all kinds of other virtues. But you can't sustain any of these. You know, they 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 die. They they're impermanent too. And then we're, you know, what we, what do you expect from monastic life? What is your expectation of it? And then, if you don't get what you expect, then you're going to be disappointed. And you can actually believe disappointment is a, is a, you know, is a, is the truth. But disappointment is a, that's not ultimate reality, is it? Being disappointed is not ultimate reality. When the conditions for disappointment are present, then this is the feeling that arises. So that's where it's so important to, to notice, to, to 
to experience the changingness of emotions. And not just the, 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 the more, you know, the, the, the highs and the lows, but the, the kind of mediocrity, the boredom, the restlessness. Disappointment and and just uh, being fed up with things, or you know, you can you can keep the rules and be very strict and and uh, all that for a long time. Then you get fed up with it, with all the restrictions. And oftentimes, monks and nuns get really fussy and about rules and everything, and and you get fed up with you monks and nuns and all their monkish ways <laughs> feel pretty, at least I have, fed up with it all. Fed up with the life. Fed up with being a monk. Fed up with Theravada Buddhism. And fed up with Amravati. But then metta allows this this feeling to be conscious. It's not permanent. And so one can experience the changingness of these these emotions. These are emotions. I call them emotions. So when when you really practice metta, when you really understand it in a practical way, in other words, it uh, you know it's just it's it is the same thing as mindfulness. It's exactly the same. It's mindfulness, metta, but metta then is the word itself conveys a more. Uh, heartfelt quality. Mindfulness can sound a bit too mental, you know. Uh, but metta is an attitude, a kind of way of of accepting something, let, letting something be what it is. Don't we all just want to be accepted for what we are? You know, I look back at my own life and I feel the, all the anguish and self-consciousness of of my personality was I never felt, you know, I always felt I had to prove to be acceptable, to be liked, to, uh, and that uh, I had to prove myself in some way. I had to be nice and polite and good, obey the rules and, and smile and, and uh, get on nicely and not rock the boat too much and things like that. You learn as a child, don't you, how to behave so you get the approval you need. So the sense of, of you know, wanting, wanting to, you know, but it develops this personality that's based on, I'm, you know, I, I can only be loved when I'm, when I'm good. And I always have to prove that I'm somebody worthwhile in order to be accepted. And so this was very much a, 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 a kind of attitude. You know, it wasn't consciously held. It was just, you know, quite subconscious, actually, operating in me in my life until I became aware of it through uh, awareness, through meditation. And then the unconditioned love, we think, well, like that's God or some... Buddha or some very high person because, you know, on a personal level, you can't love something unconditioned, unconditionally. Personally, you can only change according to the conditions. On a personal level, you're only capable of liking and disliking, approving and disapproving. That's how the personality is. You're not going to get, uh, you know, a, a personality uh, that is wise, pure, and permanently good. Personalities change according to conditions, if you've noticed. 
So, you know, whether I feel as a person, you know, then I'm, I'm praised and people say you're wonderful and my personality is like this. <laughs> and then they say, you're, you're a phony, you've got it all wrong, you're not even really a proper Buddhist. You're a failure. Personality changes, praise and blame. But they, then I can see, then if, if I'm attached to the idea of metta as a person, then I can feel, you know, I can feel metta when people are praising me, no problem. You know, liking and love in this sense. And, but I'm not really being mindful if I'm getting lost in the, in the praise, am I? I'm just, it just makes me feel good as a person to be praised and liked and be successful on a personal level, and then I feel all right. I feel better about myself. But then when things go the other way, when it's like being criticized or blamed or rejected or despised or humiliated, then I don't, my personally don't feel. That makes me feel, uh, you know, that I'm no good, that I'm a failure. That's the personality, and that depends. Personalities change according to conditions. So, the refuge we have is not in the personal, not in the condition, but in the unconditioned. So then, the unconditioned then is is realized, recognized through sati or mindfulness, and then metta is a helpful attitude. You know, it's a it's a word that conveys this, reminds us of, say, unconditioned love. And then unconditioned love is, can only be that in, in the present moment which is willing to accept something totally unlikable, unwanted, uh, starting with oneself. doesn't mean approving or justifying anything. It's just willing to allow something to be without saying, well, I want you to go. I don't want this condition. I, don't, I want to annihilate these bad thoughts or these, these uh, negative emotions. So that's where the... the, the uh, getting back to sati sampachanya and metta, where they conjoin, where they actually the same thing. But metta then has this, this in the, for me anyway, the word metta has this more of an, an attitude of accepting, allowing. To be loved unconditionally is, a, is a, what we all long for. And that it, a God that loves me unconditionally, you know, because uh, you, you know, pers- on a personal level, I never felt anybody that I knew ever loved me unconditionally. Whether they loved me depended on how I behaved. <laughs> and then, and then you know, this, uh, God does. And then when you lose your, you know, you no longer kind of can accept that either. You don't even know what that means anymore. So then in, in Buddhist meditation, uh, coming back to the present moment and exploring, investigating consciousness. What do I find? You know, I find, you know, and this is according to the Buddhist teachings, you know, the Four Noble Truths, where the Buddha emphasized Sati Sampatanya. Is the uh, you know this this uh, this first noble truth is is accepting suffering for what it is, and that is a metta allowing dukkha. It's not it's not condemning or or trying to change it, but recognizing, observing, allowing suffering to be. 
to, and then to let go of it. Not don't try to manipulate it or resist it or indulge in it or ignore it or anything, but allow suffering to be what it is. And experience the changingness of suffering. So you, you, and this we do in the present, it's not something you put off till tomorrow. So then, in terms of, may all, everyone abide in well-being. Once you understand abiding in well-being, then the compassion, then the karuna, arises. You know, where, where this, this, this kind of altruism of, you know, compassion for, may everyone abide in well-being. And so starting from here, then we, we can go outward towards all sentient beings. But towards, and especially, you know, like that tends to get, you know, quite outward. But then notice the people that you're actually living with. Uh, you know, how, you know, like here in uh, Amravati, the monks and nuns, lay people that are here, and and uh, we might may everyone abide in well-being might be a um, you know nice thing to say, but then in terms of the reality of everyone abiding in well-being, because you're all very much a part of my experience, isn't it, in the present? Now a billion Chinese in China. I can easily spread, may all billion Chinese abide in well-being. Because I don't know one, and they're not here. <laughs> but then in terms of living here in a community, you know, we affect each other emotionally. So in, you have different emotional uh, reactions of love, liking, hating, uh, you know, being judgmental, critical, preferring one over another. And then we can think, I should have metta for you all. You know, all the time I should have metta for all the monks, all the nuns, all the time. That's an ideal. But in terms of may I abide in well-being, getting back to this point here, then the memories, you know, like memory, you know, each one of you, when you live together, you have memories of each other. So it's not that we're actually, you know, living like Siamese twins attached to each other physically, but we come and go uh, physically in, in, in relationship, but then we carry memories. So these memories are, they have metta for the memories, means Whatever the memory is, you know, if it's a loving, liking, appreciating uh, memory or a jealous one or an angry one towards uh, any, anybody, then unconditioned love means allowing this memory to be what it is. Letting it be in consciousness without attaching or trying to get rid of it because you're experiencing the changingness of memory. So in this practice, and it's very, it is word practice and it's practical. Something that is not, I'm not being altruistic or, you know, something that's very, that's advanced, only the most advanced meditators can do. This is something we can all do. So, and something worth doing, worth practicing with, is, is, is learning, is, is developing, cultivating this way of awareness. 
and memory is, you know, to, in the sanya khanda, you know, the five khanda, the sanya khanda are used for memory. Now, memories arise and cease according to other conditions. They don't just aren't absolutely kind of fixed and, you know, they, whether you remember me or not depends on conditions to remember me or anyone. And then you, you, you remember somebody, you, you know, the memory of that person is unpleasant, is like this. And then notice if you're, if you're very idealist, how you, you feel you shouldn't have this hatred for anybody. You know, especially, you know, we're here sharing the holy life together. We, you know, we, we, we can be very altruistic about it. And, but we can feel also very mean and nasty and, and petty also in, in our emotional experience. We, because sometimes we act that way. Sometimes we're rude and insensitive and and critical, and uh, you know, just reactive in in ways that that are unpleasant. That's what happens when you live with with somebody, isn't it? With with people, and so then the metta, the unconditioned love, then is is observing, witnessing, allowing the, your emotional world to be what it is. It's not, not approving of it. When I say accepting it, it's not, acceptance doesn't mean approval. In order to, to understand something, you have to accept it. Doesn't mean you have to like it or approve of it. And so if it's unplanned, like suffering, is, who, who wants suffering? None of us want to suffer, I think. Some people, I think, like to suffer. <laughs> but I don't. I don't like suffering at all, personally. But then suffering is experience, isn't it? This realm, being human, having a body like this, having a personality, having memories, all this, likes and dislikes. Uh, Personally, I have preferences, and I have what I prefer, and what I don't like, and what I approve of and disapprove of, and these are part of a personality. I can be very idealistic and altruistic. I can also feel very cold and and uh, and very unfeeling, very kind of lack of, of caring. I, feel, I can feel very selfish. That's personal. Those are conditions that one experiences in consciousness. So then, in, in terms of ideals, I don't want to be selfish and cruel and insensitive. Idealistically, I want to be full of compassion and loving kindness and good-natured and accepting and, uh, you know, being the ideal um, ajahn, ideal uh, habit, being the ideal friend to you all, being the ideal teacher. You know, I like ideals. And they're likable ideals. Ideals are likable. But in, with metta practice, then, then we, we, are, we are allowing ourselves to uh, be the witness or the observer of change. And so, even though what we like is likable and praiseworthy and right and good, it changes. All conditions change. Nothing can be absolutely right and absolutely good under all conditions. So this emphasis on awareness 
allowing that experiencing, knowing change is like this. Whether it's, no matter how personal it might seem, how emotional, how urgent, how important, or how horrible and nasty or frightening it might be. Or on the other side, how how wonderful and inspired and and marvelous and fantastic everything is. These uh, these are the extremities. And much of our life is neither uh, the heaven or hell or the extremities, but just the day-to-day putting on your robe, eating your food, walking from here to there, sitting down, bowing, chanting, the daily routine. Most of our life is not extreme. It's, it's just like this. Neither this nor that. But metta includes it all. An attitude of allowing it, boredom and routine and and uh, that to be is like this. The restlessness that arises if your life gets perfunctory, habitual, just going through the routine, you know, say surrender to the forms, the monastic forms, don't be selfish, and all these kind of uh, words we fling about, is the surrender to the form. It means shut up. <laughs> don't complain. <laughs> or that's where somebody starts complaining. Surrender to the form. Merely saying shut up, don't complain about anything. So then, you know, the more you, you know, contemplate in this way, reflect in this way, this awareness is becomes, you know, is 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 your is this is the real strength. Awareness isn't dependent; it's not a condition. It's our ability to awaken to conditions. It's the ability to observe conditions within the uh, confines of our human form and our personalities, the way our personalities work, our emotional world and all the rest. These are not obstructions. Unless we, you know, but if we identify with them, then everything is obstructive. Everything obstructs us. So, the, the point is awakened attentiveness, intuitive awareness. And this does not mean pushing anything away, but allowing the world to be the way it is. At this moment, not in some, you know, the world out there, so much as the world, we're talking about the world that you're experiencing in your consciousness at this moment. That's the real world. I was heard on Radio 4 recently, they had this experiment where they were sending Christian nuns, Catholic nuns, who'd been in convents for years, you know, they got, they, they, they have to, once they enter they can't, they're not supposed to leave. And some of these Catholic nuns have been, uh, you know, in convent for 20 years or so. And so there's an experiment taking these nuns who had been incarcerated in a convent for 20 years and putting them out in the real world, they said. This I heard on the radio. But they went out into the real world, like various, uh, you know, like, some place in London, or you know, to experience the real world. See, that's how that's how we often like, we get accused of not living in the real world. 
I've been, you know, and people said, you aren't living in the real world here at Amaravati. Because to most people, the real world is not, is not a real world. It's their illusions that they create. You know, it's their prejudices, their opinions, their views, their emotions. Uh, to them, the real world. And the, and the society they live in, their views and the attitudes and all that that they hold in, the, in their social position and whatnot, it, they call the real world. Now, now this is don't you know this is not for this is not doctrinal position I'm taking, but in the Buddhist context, the real world is here, isn't it? We create the world. You're the creator of the world because you live in the world that you create. No, it's obvious. The memories that you have, the opinions, the preferences and habits. They, they're not the same for all of us, are they? They're, but they're real for us. That's what our real world is. Whether you're incarcerated in a convent or living in the middle of London or here at Amravati, the real world is this, here and now, the conditions changing. And so metta is metta for the real world. It's not saying, oh, I shouldn't have these bad thoughts. Because then you're making a problem. You're, you're not reflecting, you're not experiencing the changing of some bad thoughts. You are judging them and saying, and, and then creating an ego with that because you think they're my bad thoughts and I shouldn't, if I'm a good monk, I shouldn't have these bad thoughts. And then it goes on into a, a real, you know, into, a, into a, a world that I create about me being a monk who, who has bad thoughts that I shouldn't have and gets, gets very complicated. And you feel guilty, and uh, you feel you let everybody down. You, you should be full of loving kindness all the time, and never feel any anger or enmity or jealousy or fear or anything. And then the conditions arise for for these for these kind of emotions. And so I've been meditating all these years, and I still get frightened. I've been meditating all these years and I still get angry over this. It's not working. But then, in terms of reflectiveness, satisampatanya, this is our ability to allow the world to be what it is doesn't mean approving or liking, but allowing, receiving it, experiencing this world, experiencing its changingness, because the world changes all the time according to the conditions. So this is like a reflection on Metta, uh, you know, is uh, something that I encourage uh, to develop. And then metta is no longer just a a kind of formula or uh, being altruistic or, you know, being sentimental about anything. It's very practical, very realistic. So unconditioned love is our true nature, in other words, putting it in non-Buddhist terms. Unconditioned love is pure conscious awareness. And so it's, it's, it's when we when we awaken and, and, awa- and awaken to the way it is. The Buddha 
aware of the Dhamma, knowing the Dhamma, then then the then the suffering is seen, is learned from. We 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 have the insights into the Four Noble Truths and let go of it. Let suffering be what it is. When we let go of suffering, suffering is not ultimate reality. It arises and ceases according to condition. So you're allowing suffering to to be what it is. Letting it go doesn't mean getting rid of it, but letting it be, and then it ceases. You're, the awareness, awareness of suffering and its cessation. Now this is this is what intuitive awareness is all about. You you, rec- you realize the cessation of suffering, not as something, you know, suffering ceases forever and never rises again. That's another ideal. If I really experience the cessation, that means I'll never suffer again. You'll be terribly disappointed if you hold on to that ex- expectation. But this realm is like this, and this, having a body is like this, having senses, being sensitive, feeling, and in this realm that is a totally sensitive realm, it's not an ideal, it's not uh, what things should be, but it is the way it is. And you've got good and bad, right and wrong. I have, you know, beautiful butterflies and and uh, nasty well, little mosquitoes. <laughs> you know, so you've got, you know, you've got saints and sinners and all the rest because that's, that's the way it's supposed to be, the way it is, the changingness of conditioned phenomena. And the relationship is to be the knower the witness to change, allowing change, because if if you don't allow change to change, then you'll never notice its cessation. You'll always be looking for something, expecting something, caught in the delusions again. So I offer this for your reflection.